Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Because we are in a spiritual battle, we must fight it with spiritual weapons. And this is where so often we miss what's really happening. We don't see that it's really a spiritual battle, so we're trying to fight it with weapons that are ineffective. They're never going to work. We have to identify the battle for what it is. It's spiritual, and then we have to fight it with spiritual weapons. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, in a message titled, Spiritual Warfare. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So what I want to do today is I want to give just kind of an overview of the, the subject of spiritual warfare. Now, remember, as we've, we've been going through Ephesians, we, we broke it down into the, the wealth, the walk, and then finally the warfare of the Christian. So first three chapters, the wealth that we have in Christ, and we talked extensively about that. And then... Uh, from there, we talked about the walk. We've been talking about the walk and all the different aspects of practically applying our Christianity in our daily lives. And so now we come to that third and final section of the epistle, and um, the subject is warfare, spiritual warfare. So just like we did with the marriage series, we, we kind of did a series within a series. We're going through Ephesians, but we, we took a little bit longer and extended it out a bit with marriage. We're going to do the same thing with this spiritual warfare topic. It's a, it's a very fascinating topic. It's a very serious topic. It's not one that we hear a whole lot about. So today, we'll just kind of give an overview. Let me start as we just do this, this overview today. I, I want to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Many, many years ago, I read a book by A.W. A. Tozer. There, there are many books out there. But I read a book in which he had this, this chapter on the subject of spiritual warfare, and it really stuck with me. So I want to begin with uh, quoting that paragraph there. So this is what Tozer wrote. He said, in earlier days, men conceived the world to be a battleground. Our fathers believed in sin and the devil and hell as constituting one force, and they believed in God and righteousness and heaven as the other. These were opposed to each other in deep, grave, irreconcilable hostility. Man had to choose sides. He could not be neutral. For him, it must be life or death, heaven or hell. And if he chose to come out on God's side, he could expect open war with God's enemies. The fight would be real and deadly and would last as long as life continued here below. Men looked forward to heaven as a return from war, a laying down of the sword to enjoy the peace, to enjoy in peace the home prepared for them. Sermons and songs in those days often had a martial quality about them or perhaps a trace of homesickness. The Christian soldier thought of home and rest and reunion and his voice grew plaintive as he sang of battle ended and victory won. 
But whether he was charging into enemy guns or dreaming of war's end and the father's welcome home, he never forgot what kind of world he lived in. It was a battleground and many were the wounded and the slain. Now that, that paragraph is from a chapter in one of the, the Tozer books. The, the book was actually called God Tells the Man Who Cares and the chapter was entitled World Battleground or Playground. And for many, of course, the world is kind of just seen as a playground. But the reality is the world is truly a battleground. So those who see the world as a spiritual battleground, those are the people who see it accurately. And those who see it otherwise will sooner or later become a casualty in the conflict because the conflict is very real. And I think for us today, it is becoming more and more obvious that things that we used to sort of relegate to, well, you know, that's just politics or that's just social policy or that's just what they think in the academic world or whatever. Things that we, we tended to just put in those categories, we, we are seeing today, it's always been there, but it's becoming more blatantly obvious today that there's a strong spiritual component in all of this. And there's a strong opposition, not just to spirituality. In some ways, there's not even an opposition to spirituality. It's, there's the strong opposition is to Christ, the gospel, the biblical picture of spirituality. And so we see this kind of thing more and more obviously with the passing of time. Think of the different areas in which we see it today. We see it in the rise and in the spread of militant Islam. The rise and the spread, and then insanely enough, the, we, we see it in the, um, the unwillingness of people to really identify it for what it is. But yet, of course, Islam is certainly a, a, a spiritual, it's, it's a religion. And so there's obviously a huge spiritual component there. And this is one manifestation of the spiritual battle that we're talking about. The rise and the spread of militant Islam. We see it in the resurgence of communism in uh, different parts of the world. We see it in the rise of a new and very aggressive atheism. You know, there have always been atheists for centuries and they write their books and they're find them in the philosophy departments of universities and so forth. But atheists have now come out with all the fervor of fundamentalist evangelists. And uh, they've, they've got their billboards in communities and they're working actively. They're even, they're even developing atheist churches. And that's kind of a strange uh, twist on things, but that's, uh, that's one of the manifestations of this new aggressive form of atheism. So we see that. Uh, we also see this spiritual battle in the relentless and now government-sponsored attempts to impose the homosexual agenda on the culture. We see it in the, the vilification of Christianity and Christians, which is becoming more and more uh, the case uh, in our culture. We see it in the resurgence of anti-Semitism. We see it in the revival of liberal theology within the church. You know, in the church, you have, you've had liberalism for a couple of hundred years, but uh, to offset liberalism or in continuing with liberalism, there was always 
the, the evangelical movement, those who believe the Bible. But today we have, across evangelicalism, you have all kinds of theologically liberal ideas coming in and becoming the normal situation. So these are all manifestations in the larger picture of things of this spiritual battle that we're talking about. But there's also the more personal side to this onslaught. And as we go through this series over these several weeks, I am absolutely certain of this, that you, you're gonna discover things that you did not previously know. You're gonna suddenly realize that Wow, the devil's much more active than I ever knew that he was. And you're going you're gonna to understand that certain things that happen in your life on a daily basis are really connected back to this. Because it's not just happening on this larger scale of you know, the international scene or the national scene or within the culture or politics or whatever. There's the personal element to it. We see it in the attacks upon marriages, families, children. We experience in it in an attack upon our minds, being plagued with, with evil images and things, condemnation and doubt and fear and discouragement and these kinds of things. Sometimes it manifests itself in bodily afflictions. We can see it there. There's heightened temptation in the area of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You can break that down to passions, uh, possessions, and the desire for position. And it just seems like everything is uh, intensifying. And all of these things, according to Scripture, are being orchestrated and manipulated by invisible forces that Paul refers to, as we read in the passage together today, as the principalities and the powers. And what does he tell us there? He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You see, what Paul is saying is that our fight is really, it's not with human beings, although it, it seems to manifest itself in that way, but there's something, there are forces behind the scenes that are manipulating everything. And so we're not wrestling against other people per se, flesh and blood. Our fight is not ultimately with the Islamist. It's not with the atheist or the militant gays or the theological liberals or the cultural liberals or uh, an increasingly humanistic slash atheistic government. Our fight is with the devil and the demonic host behind the scenes because they're the ones who are manipulating everything. They're the ones who are, are in, in the end, really controlling things. Now, since that is the case... Because we are in a spiritual battle, we must fight it with spiritual weapons. And this is where so often we miss what, what's really happening. We, we, we don't see that it's really a spiritual battle, so we're trying to fight it with weapons that are ineffective. They're never going to work. We have to identify the battle for what it is. It's spiritual. And then we have to fight it with spiritual weapons. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.3, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not physical weapons. They're, they're not merely human. He said, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down or demolishing arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, if I don't realize that this stuff that we're talking about 
behind it all, there, there are spiritual forces. If I'm trying to fight this physically, through physical resources, whatever they might be, it's a, it's a losing battle. The only way that we can stay the, the advance of these forces of darkness is if we are taking the spiritual weapons that God has given us and we're employing those weapons. We're using those weapons. So here's the question. The question is, what are these weapons? Now, again, today we're just taking kind of an overview. We're not going into the great detail that we will go into ultimately. So when we're talking about the weapons here, there are other things beside this. This isn't an exhaustive list of the weapons here. Uh, But this is just kind of more of a general look at it. So what are those weapons? Well, I'm going to mention four today. There's faith, there's prayer, there's holy living, and there's proclamation of the gospel. So let's start with faith. Faith is a great spiritual weapon. You see, because what faith does is faith believes God. Faith, faith is a, is a <laughs> that's where your, your uh, ability to fight begins because you believe God, therefore you understand the situation accurately. You know what the real problems are. So we must have faith. We must believe God. We must take God's word to heart. So that, that's how we start to move toward victory in this spiritual battle. We start with believing God. God gave us his word. He tells us about reality in his word. We take that to heart. We believe it. Then... We must believe that God is at work in the world. Now, I think one of the things that can happen to us today, I know it happens to me occasionally, is we can get so preoccupied with with what the devil's doing that we lose sight of the fact that God is, is also at work. You know, of course, when you watch the news, when you read the headlines and all of that sort of thing, there, there's, there's never going to be a headline that tells you, and hey, listen, man, God is on the move in uh, <laughs> you know, the southern hemisphere. It's amazing how many people are coming to faith in Christ. You're not going to read that headline, right? No, all, all we're going to read is, is about the stuff we read about, all the darkness, all the misery, all the suffering, all the, the craziness. And because that's what we're inundated with so often, we, we just become preoccupied with that. And we forget that God is at work in the midst of all of this stuff. But you see, that's the truth. In the midst of all of this craziness, God is working. In the midst of the insanity of this radical Islamist thing that we see going on, and of course, ISIS is the most obvious manifestation of it right now, this Islamic state. Uh, But, you know, the truth is this. Yeah, these guys are going around. They're they're barbarous. They're murderous. And it's horrific what they're doing. But did you know that because they're doing this, multitudes, millions of Muslims are saying, you know what? I don't want to be a Muslim. If this is what Islam looks like, I don't want to be part of that. What else is there out there? And lots of people are turning to Christ. They're turning to Christians. They're wanting to know, well, what does the Bible say? So you see, all we're going to see on CNN or Fox or uh, whatever else you might use, BBC, we're we're just going to see what the devil's doing. 
But we have to realize, no, God is at work behind the scenes in all of this. So faith recognizes that God is at work in the world. And we also must believe that he is at work in and through his church. You see, the church is the vehicle through which God works in the world. We have to remember that. Now, God's sovereign over the world, so he uses all different kinds of things, but for the main thing that God is doing on planet Earth, which is spreading the gospel of salvation to human souls, that the church, that's the church's area. That's our, that's our job. And God has historically used the church. He is using the church today. So by faith, we have to realize that we play a, a massively important role in what's going on in world history. It's through the church that God is at work. But by faith, I believe that. I believe that to be the case. And then we must believe that God is working in us individually and he wants to work through us. You see, part of the way that the forces of darkness are gonna be beat back is, is when you as, a, as an individual Christian say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to empower me to do your will in whatever area you have for me so I can play my part in driving back the enemy. You know, an army is, is made up, a military force is made up of all different kinds of people who do all different types of things. And every one of us, by faith, we have to believe that, yes, God's called us into this. We, we have to be engaged. He wants to use us. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he referred to Timothy as a soldier, and it's the same is true for all of us. When you became a Christian, you also became a soldier of Jesus Christ, whether you knew that or not. That's what happened. You were enlisted by him into his services. And the Bible speaks not just here in Ephesians of this spiritual battle, but Paul often uses this imagery. He says to Timothy, wage a good warfare, fight a good fight. And so personally, we're engaged in this battle, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. But if by faith I lay hold of that and I say, Lord, here I am. Use me. I believe that you want to use me. I believe that you're going to use me. I believe that you will use me. Then we will be effective. We will be helping to, to make a difference here. And then it's only by faith that we can see the work of the devil halted, or slowed down, or reversed. So we start with faith. Secondly, prayer. Prayer. We've talked about prayer recently. We, we did a whole message on prayer on a Sunday morning. As you perhaps remember, we had our week of prayer, but you know, we have to keep praying. We have to, we have to pray. And boy, as we look at our crazy world, as we look at our crazy culture, as we look at what's happening with our younger generation of people today, are we praying? Because that's, that's a huge part of the solution to the problem, that we would be praying that God would work, that he would pour out his spirit. Jesus actually told us that certain satanic strongholds can only be broken by prayer. He told us that. Remember the story where there was this demon-possessed young man and the father took this young man to the disciples of Jesus to 
for, for them to deliver him from this demonic oppression, and they couldn't do it. Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus deals with it. He takes care of it. And the disciples say, Lord, why couldn't we do that? And he says two things. Going back to the point we just made a moment ago, he says, you couldn't do it, number one, because of your lack of faith. But number two, he said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. You know, there are certain principalities and powers that are so entrenched in, in that place where they're at. They have such authority that, that that can only be driven out through intense prayer. You know, there are people's lives, there are communities, there are places where, you, you know, the, the devil just has a stronghold. I don't know if you've, you've been anywhere like that, where you just, it's, it's like you cross the city limit lines and you know you just entered right into a new sort of experience of being in enemy territory. There, there are places around that I, I sense that. And um, that, that's what Paul means when he talks about principalities and powers. What he's describing there are spiritual forces that rule over geographical regions. That's the, that's the way the world is. It's, it's ruled by these spirits. Daniel chapter 10, we're reminded of that as well. Remember the story there? Daniel sets his heart to pray. He begins to seek the Lord. He, he prays for 21 days. He's asking God to bring him understanding. For 21 days he prays. At the end of 21 days, the messenger finally arrives and he says to Daniel, he says, from the moment you set your heart to seek God, I was dispatched to come to you, but the prince of Persia resisted me. The prince of Persia, now, of course, Persia was a nation. There was an actual prince, a king that ruled over uh, Persia, but that's not who the angel was referring to. He's referring to the spiritual power that was controlling the prince of Persia. Just like those princes of Persia today, those ayatollahs, those guys over there who are promoting chaos and terrorism all around the world, these, these guys are just puppets. They're being manipulated through the, these principalities and powers. But again, the point there is Daniel shows us that the moment he began to pray, the angel tells him, I was sent to come to you, but there was resistance. But it was his continued prayer, those 21 days of prayer that contributed to the, the pushing back of that resistance or the breaking of that resistance so the angel could come and bring the message. And so it is true with us today. We must pray. We must pray. We look at all of the crazy stuff going on around us and don't you feel helpless so often? Don't you just look at everything and think, God, what can we do? Doesn't seem like any of the things that we thought might, we might be able to do are, are really helping. And so we have to pray. We have to seek God in prayer. Somebody gave me this. Somebody handed me this card after first service with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot on it. It's a good one, so I'll, I'll use it. She said this. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot. They were the ones who went to uh, South America to evangelize the, the Alka people, and uh, Jim and some friends were martyred in 1956. Elizabeth wrote this. She said, prayer is very hard work, but I am convinced that it is the most important work that we can do for God, yet it is the most neglected. It is neglected. Prayer is hard work. 
And you know one of the hard things about prayer? The devil does not want you to pray. For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. The world is divided over issues like race, gender, sexuality, and health. But there are even greater divisions in the church, divisions over doctrines. But how as we as Christians move past doctrinal divisions in an effort to maintain unity, but without compromising the essential truths of Scripture? Well, in his book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On, Gavin Ortland provides a guide to help you prioritize doctrine according to four different ranks along a spectrum of doctrinal importance. This book will challenge you to consider the balance between faithfulness to God's Word and the need for Christian unity. If you want to be as effective as possible at advancing the gospel in our time, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Finding the Right Hills to Die On by Gavin Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.